welcome to the Mankind Podcast. I'm your host, Justin J. Girdler, and I am really excited about this episode. I got so much positive feedback from you guys on my interview with Tom Turco that we decided this week uh, to release the full length interview, which is longer than we typically go. But I think it's a great insight into Tom's leadership, his backstory, and if you are in sales of any kind or any kind of leadership position in the corporate world, I think this episode is going to be awesome for you. Again, the Mankind Podcast is all about helping men step into who they are in the world through kindness. And I love the way that Tom shows up each and every day intentionally with his team. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you haven't already and you want to support the work that we're doing, one of the best ways you can do that is by hitting subscribe on this episode. I thank you so much for doing that. That helps us bring in more quality guests as we are growing this community. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode. by caffeine and hank yeah the be kind podcast uh, fueled by caffeine and hate yeah, that, sounds, that sounds right, right? yeah yeah it makes sense yeah that, i like that oh i probably shouldn't slurp anymore we'll have to stop that hmm? i probably shouldn't slurp the coffee with the microphone off no that's fine it was a good sound effect we, we, i don't have to add that sound effect now oh, oh okay. those guys are gonna have to add this so people knew so what I mean, was happening I'm, I'm not used to this glass i'm still trying to figure out how, how it comes out that's right tom hey i'm i'm, I'm pulling open our notes but um it's going to be super easy. All right. This is exciting. A little nervous. A little nervous. What are you nervous about? You don't, I can't imagine I mean, a picture of you nervous. There's a giant penis shaped microphone on my eyeball. <laughs> What's there to be nervous about? <laughs> it's pretty close. Huh? It could be a little uncomfortable. You know, this one is like the first podcast. Like, I feel like if you screw this one up, there's no coming back. Probably not. No, they'll probably ask me to stop doing this. Yeah. If it goes so badly. now your now your podcast and my podcast are all, li- all tied together in my ability up. to function on a podcast. Tell me about your podcast. I don't have a podcast. Oh yeah? No, I have none. But you just said you had your your podcast. Any future podcast oh, I may okay. want to have. Yeah. And um, what's that about? I don't know. It would be on leadership, of course. That's the only thing I'm good at. Okay. I like that. I really suck at everything else in life. Tom Turco. Good day. Is that the right way to pronounce it? Yes. Turco. Okay. It's, it's not like Italian, Italian, Italian last Turcho. name you'll ever hear. It no. just means the Turk in just... every romance language. Oh, really? Yeah. So does that mean you guys actually hail from Turkey? I'm from Southern Italy, so that's possible. Okay. Um, there are some other inappropriate for the podcast stories that I'll share with you at a later time over drinks. And now your listeners are going to wonder what that means. We start talking a little bit about you, all right, uh, and kind of your background. Like, I want to hear kind of, yeah, just the basics of, of who you are. Okay, um, I grew up in upstate New York, about 100 miles from New York City, along the Hudson River. Beautiful area. Uh, for those of you that love music, the Woodstock festivals were close by. I get a general idea of where I'm from. Uh, I was a basketball player predominantly. Uh, it's ironic now because I look like an NFL linebacker, um, but I actually didn't play football past the eighth grade. I played tennis and, and basketball growing up. I was, uh, I gave up a full ride to college halfway through, uh, and, uh, through my college career. And that's for a later podcast also, but, uh, I got exiled to Texas. I had an uncle or IBM So I came to Austin in 1999 for six months and I'm still here. So that's fun. And, uh, how long has it been? 22 years now. Okay. Maybe, almost yeah, 22 years. Yeah, January 6, 99, I rolled into town in my 87 Cutlass Supreme. Uh, that's a significant stint. Baby blue. It was awesome. Love that car. Two door. It's a great car. Um, so I'm married. I've got an awesome daughter. She just turned nine. Um, apparently the whole family is going to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which was my passion. And, uh, and now it's spreading. Um, so yes, I like to fold people up in their clothes. It's a lot of fun. Um, I find, uh, it makes me a better human, which is cool. It, uh, it forces you to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that has a lot of value everywhere in life um, that I've found. And then I, uh, I'm a tenacious fisherman. And because of that, I got into the IT industry. So I, I could sit all night and talk to you and work at the same time. And I had a guy that I fished with whose son needed an employee. So I got an IT. I spent a lot of time on Google, worked really hard to understand what it was, but it gave me the ability to um, speak IT to people who didn't understand IT. I could translate back and forth. And 
And that led to an opportunity as a sales engineer, which led to an opportunity in leadership. And, and now I lead, I lead people for a living. I lead a team of pre-sales engineers uh, at a company called ServiceNow. Yeah, I'm fairly boring. I just have a general life philosophy of being hard to kill, which I stole from a guy named Tim Kennedy. You should check him out if you've never heard of him. But the, uh, the idea is, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, he's a Green Beret, so he tries to be hard to kill from an ISIS perspective. But for me, it's like, you know, cancer, car accident, like be strong, be useful, be, uh, be an asset to society and not a liability. So that's kind of my, my general life philosophy. So I like how you started that sentence with, I'm a pretty boring guy. I just try to make it really hard to kill me. Well, that's, that's boring. That's <laughs> a lot are, of repetition. You are anything but boring, Tom. I mean, one of my ideas of fun is to take a giant cannonball that has a handle on it and swing it around the garage. So, yeah. Uh, I'm into kettlebells. Well, and right before we started the podcast, you made me this incredible cappuccino that you've been like oh, perfecting yeah. the art of over the course of the last year and a half. I have a few things I'm good at. The pandemic was helpful in a couple of them. Um, cappuccinos and ribeye would be the two from the pandemic. But yeah, I, uh, I got the coffee around 38, so I don't drink bad coffee. I only drink good coffee, and I don't have to drink coffee, so it has to be good. Um, I just and, drink, and I just drink coffee. I'm a little bit of a snob. <laughs> that was an amazing cappuccino, I do have to say. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, that's actually, I don't really share that with a lot of people, so that's, that's good to hear because yeah. I like it. And... Well, thank you for sharing your, your craft with me this morning. So um, I got a few questions for you yeah. just because, I mean, you mentioned getting into leadership in kind of software sales. Getting into leadership is probably a strong word. I think I was drug kicking and screaming. Probably the right way to say that actually. Yeah. So yeah. Well, um, if you'd like to start there, let's, let's hit it. I was working at a startup and I was in charge of all their operations. So we had a couple of data centers in Austin and we had about 2000 servers and I had voiced my desire to move up the chain, but I had a flaw in my philosophy and what happened was my identity was tied to what I did. So who I was, was what I did, uh, which if you're listening to this podcast and that's who you are, that's a very, very valuable life lesson. You are not what you do. Who you are is very different. And the faster you can separate those two, the happier you will be. And uh, I was just blessed to do a marathon with a guy who had that figured out. And I spent, we were a heavy team, so we were carrying 45-pound packs for this marathon. Uh, it was to honor the soldiers that were left behind a baton. It's called the Baton Death March Memorial Marathon. It lives up to its name. And uh, I spent a ton of time with this dude training and just realized that, that that was what made him special. That's what made me admire him. But before I figured this out, I wanted to be a manager. I did all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And the guys at the company that I work with saw through that. And when it came time to interview for this role. At the time, I felt like they backstabbed me, but they didn't backstab me, they just told the truth. They just were honest. Um, and, and I was unapproachable because I was arrogant a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So that's also uh, a tough one. But anyway, I, I basically failed miserably and they hired another manager over me and, and then I decided to become an SE. I had a good wife who I had met at work who introduced me to SEs to convince me and a good mentor that told me I should go do it. And so when I moved to a company called VMware to be an SE, I just wanted to be an SE. What's an SE? Uh, so, uh, so in t software sales, you have a salesperson, which is traditional, but you can't just like install a server and let somebody test it. So you have a, what's called a pre-sales, they're either solutions engineer, sales engineer, or solutions consultant, and they are basically a technical pre-sales specialist. We send uh, an individual to be able to have those complicated conversations with the people that will have to install and use the software. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's partial sales. I okay. say. It's, it's as far into the dark side as I'm willing to go. <laughs> Um, so I just wanted to be the best SE that I could. Uh, thank you for that. And after about a year and a half, my, uh, my boss at the time and my director were like, hey, you need to take on a team. I'm like, no, 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 I suck as a leader. That failed miserably. I still had scars, like open wound scars. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And they're like, no, 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 you should do that. And you've done a really good job here and we want to replicate that and we're going to hire five more people. You're not going to own them. They're going to dot a line to you, but you're going to lead them. And... I had almost full control in hiring them all. And um, I probably haven't worked harder in my life than I did that first year. But at the end of that year, I had the leadership bug hardcore. And I am very specific about the word leadership. There's a difference between being a manager and being a leader. And yeah, it was a it was a wild ride, but like I I messed things up. I I 
made assumptions that were wrong. I, I completely fundamentally changed the way certain things were like, like we had MBOs, which are like major business objectives. They're kind of these kind of foo-foo things you do to get paid. And the guys and gals on the team were on that. And, um, and I messed up the first quarter. And then I had a system that never messed it up again to the point that my boss had to acquire my system for like all 50 of his people. And my system didn't really scale beyond the five people. Huh. And, uh, but I made sure everybody got rewarded and recognized and, and, and it was great. And then at the end of that year, I was a finalist for a role and I made a mistake in an interview. The final interview, I made a small mistake. Uh, I was too excited. And, um, and I missed by a hair and my very good friend of mine got the role and he deserved it. Absolutely. And, uh, like I'm thinking to myself, Hey man, this is awesome. I'm going to get a leadership position here. This is this thing that I want to do. This is like what I've been looking for. This is amazing. And like three weeks after they hired my friend, um, they laid off almost the entire team, including my, both of my champions, which were my manager and my director, both got laid off on the same day. Huh. I went to a new team. Uh, I still had this desire. And um, for like two and a half years, if I looked at a role that was open for a leader, it would get closed. It would lose funding. It would, something would happen to it. Like I could kill any role. I would have people call me and be like, Tom, I really want to interview for this role. Please don't interview for it just to mess with me. Um, as I tried to like make this transition and it, it was very good for me and it was very frustrating at the same time. So I had kind of capped out. Like it was withheld from you. It wasn't withheld. It was just like I could. It, so, you know, oh, I've got this leadership wreck. I'm going to open it up. And then like, then your boss calls you. Like, hey, we lost funding. You got to close that wreck. Like that's what would happen. And that's at the time that was pretty rare at our company. Or it would be like, hey, I've got you and this internal guy on my team, but I got to promote them because I don't have a net new headcount. So I can just convert that headcount because I lost the funding. Like that, that kind of stuff was happening. It was, it was hilarious. Um, you know what, though? There's a lot of benefits from that year. And one of them is my current role is direct result of one of the interviews that I did just to get reps. But the other thing that happened to me is there's a point as a pre-sales specialist where almost anybody can get to a level. And then to get to the next level, you have to really, really focus on some technical stuff and, and do some impactful technical things. Well, I had spent a bunch of time doing leadership stuff and really focused on that. And, but I was kind of, I was really frustrated. I was, I was, I, I couldn't really progress the way I wanted to. I, I wanted to provide for my family. I, um, I had a kid by this point. So we had, we had a young daughter, um, I had a wife, you know, just trying to live the American dream. We had, we had plans and a, and a vision for my wife to be a stay-at-home mom. And so financially, like I had these goals I had to meet. And I was like, man, if I could just make this jump to this next level, I could like just wait it out. Like, then I wouldn't need to be a leader. I could just wait for that to happen. The problem was I had done nothing. Like I had done a bunch of stuff, but what I had done didn't really qualify. And I was rejected by the board that had a review for this promotion. And I was really, really mad. But I, I talked to a couple of people. I was frustrated. And again, I was doing, doing it for the wrong reasons. And, and what I realized was that that's when I realized that leadership was my craft, that that's what I wanted to do. And it didn't matter how long it took, that's what I was going to do. And so, you know, fast forward, the final role that I killed, my boss called me up and he goes, hey, I got good news and bad news. And I'm like, all right, what's up? He's like, the good news is you still have a job. I'm like, that's always good news. That's not expected though. Like, I don't expect to hear that every day. He goes, the bad news is... Um, that plan I shared with you where they might blow up the team kind of happened. And that role you just told me you were interviewing for within our cloud technology division, I just took. <laughs> and so I took the job you wanted. Yeah. Well, that's okay. And you know, he was a leader that I, you know, he's a good dude. He's still a good friend of mine today. Um, so I, but I was given a choice. So I had this, this field team that I could go to that needed a leader and they, they really wanted me and they, they hardcore pressed like VP manager, you know, this manager calls me up and he's like, I will be, you know, I will fail if I don't bring you onto this team. What can I do to help you convince you? But this other technology was this technology I liked. And I, have, I had a couple of good friends that I'd made and that were part of this journey with me, guys that I kind of do life with. And I was talking to one of them and he just reminded me that I could kill any wreck. And then I knew wrecks would come and go and that I had to do the job. And the job that had this promising leadership role at the end of it, not this job I wanted to do. I just lost a bunch of weight. I, I really liked being around for my family. I didn't want to drive around South Texas going to a bunch of hospitals and medical areas selling technology. First off, I didn't want to be a technologist anymore. I wanted to be a leader. But I was passionate about the cloud because I had previous mm. experience in that space. It was still relatively new, but there was no path to leadership. 
So I took the role doing the cloud stuff. And then, you know, you talk about, um, you know, for me, it's always like, I see the path that God laid out for me, like two years later. And that's my thing. And I know it's not everybody's thing, but like, for me, that's what happened. I took the right path for the right reasons. And lo and behold, one of the managers on that team left like three months after I moved on to it. And mm-hmm. three months after that, I had my first leadership role. And, um, and then it's been a crazy ride ever since then. It's been a lot of fun. And I recently, about two years ago, I left that company and, and went to a new company. And so I'm in the process of, yeah, that's kind of my very long winded leadership journey. Um, but it's, it's been an awesome ride and we can yeah. dive into any areas of that. Yeah, that you no, want to. I want to dive open. in cause I got some questions for you for, so first for our listeners, I want to make the connection between kindness and leadership. You brought up leadership a couple of different times and that's who you are. And, but for you, you went through, like you said, you went from the state of like, uh, maybe what you would define more as a manager, like, uh, you are what you do as opposed to who you are. And you're kind of it's showing a nice, a, a good warning for people who who don't have that delineated to like, hey, figure that out and you'll be happier. So what's the thing about kindness in that whole process? Like, I mean, we were talking before we jumped on the show about just how you, even you were leading somebody recently who she felt seen by you as a manager, even though you would have given yourself a, a failing grade. Yeah. So in that whole process, if we, if we stay within that beginning journey of your career, like, what, what was it about that, like maybe empathy or in emotional intelligence, things that we would use in the workforce that yeah. would kind of stick out to you as you were learning? So first off, the key to being successful in life is surrounding yourself with people that have a very low bar. That's how I'm married up. Um, that's apparently how I'm successful in leadership. Um, I joke, but there's also something to that. Like you mentioned that story about this, this woman that's come to work for me now. That was really actually sad for me to hear that because she's been in the industry for a while and to be the first leader that she thought cared about her as a person was pretty interestingly bad. And that is actually in part the difference between a leader and a manager. Managers tell you what to do. Leaders get you to do the right things that are helpful to you that also further the cause for the company you work at. And they get you to do that. They get you to want to do that and not, they don't use power to have to do that. And and really, to me, is that what you used to do? I mean, you mentioned the, the team that well, they told the truth about you, and it wasn't it wasn't all. It was the intention behind it. Yeah. Right? They saw an arrogant guy who just wanted to move up and who didn't really care for them. So even though I did the right things behind closed doors and I took care of them from uh, you know we work weekends and nights. This was an IT job, so you can't fix anything when everybody else is working. You have to fix it when everybody else is sleeping. And. You know, they just saw the intentions behind where I was going and, and they didn't like that. And, and then I, mm. you know, I'd be honest, I didn't, I don't like that part of me either, that person that I was. Uh, that's why I'm not that person anymore. Um, when you decide that you want to be a leader, uh, you know, for me, it's really simple. Within the confines of the industry that I have, I have three priorities. And those three priorities are develop the team, run a proper business, and serve your customers. And I'll give like a quick definition of those. The develop the team's pretty self-explanatory. It's about the people. And that's priority number one, and it trumps every other priority. Mm. Number two, running a proper business, like in my world, I have a counterpart that leads sales, and we have a number just like any salespeople, even though there's two of us driving to that number. So that's about being a good partner to them and being in line and helping make them better and their team better. And then number three is like representing the customer, solving the problems. One of the things that draws technical people who are more extroverted to the SE world is you get to go in and solve these problems for a customer. And we'll joke that we don't have to get the customer to sign the dotted line. We have to architect the path to yes. No matter how expensive or complicated that is, our job is to find the most efficient path to success for the customer. And we have to lay that bare. And that's Mm. super gratifying for a lot of us because most of us come from backgrounds where we had the CFO make a bad decision because he wanted to save you know, $10,000 that cost us three weekends worth of work over the course of eight months and two different sets of technologies. And so the ability for us to go do that and try and help these customers be successful, you know, that's, that's powerful for us because we know what it's like to sleep at a data center for a weekend, right? Yeah. Or you, you can only watch Spaceballs so many times before that's not fun anymore, right? Or, or, or Blazing Saddles or whatever, yeah. whatever movies you watch, probably that's not going to age well because... Outside of our age group, most people probably don't know what half those movies are, but that's okay. Um, and so 
when I figured that out is when it really accelerated for me. But I, the people are first. And, and the reason the people are first as a leader is because you can't do everything, right? I can't, yeah. I can barely, and barely is a good word, manage my own life. I don't have time to manage somebody else's. And so the concept of micromanagement, which managers often fall into, is done through insecurity and through a lack of ability to develop their talent that they have on their team. And, and that's not their fault. There's no like leadership 101. Like I have had a couple of good leadership courses in my lifetime, but like they give you a little bit of training when you're a manager about what you should do, not how to do it. And then they leave you alone until you become a VP. And then you get a, like a life coach and all this other stuff because they yeah. want to be polished. It's like in the middle, you got to figure it out on your own. And, and what I figured out is the best way for me to be effective is to up-level the entire team. And I don't even have to up-level the team. I just have to create the space for them to do it. Huh. Right? So I have to create the space for them to do it and the knowledge to know that I support that. Right? That's what I was missing at the other role. It was about me and who I was. It's not about them and who they are. Yeah. Now, I'm guilty as everybody else. I'm human. And sometimes it becomes about me and my career and what I'm frustrated with and what's not happening that I want to happen on my timeline. But I can still be a pretty good leader now because I have reps and experience. But the difference is the amount of mental and emotional energy that I have to use to be that leader when I'm focused on me versus when I'm focused on them. Hmm. And that transition for me, like really simply, right? So the, the first time it ever hit me, I hired... I think we had four of the six people we were supposed to hire on board. They were all onboarding in a quarter. We had these major business objectives, which are MBOs, that are paid out. That was their comp plan. So in sales, you have some kind of division, right? For SEs, it's usually like 75-25. For salespeople, it's 50-50. So you get this base that's part, and yeah. then you get commissions on your sales, and that's this other part. And then if you overachieve, there's all these things that drive revenue. That's why people are in sales, because yeah. they like it's the, the, very yeah. lucrative business, especially if you're a straight-up salesperson. Um, but if you're technical, you're, you tend to be a little more conservative, a little more financially conservative. You don't necessarily want all the risk. Um, and so this different breakdown is nice, a nice balance. It kind of draws people to our world, a certain set of people. And the, the objectives were listed out like all these things the business needed. But these people were onboarding. They didn't know anything about the company that we work for. And so I told them not to worry about it, and I would take, take care of it at the end. Yeah. But I didn't get any... Like, I just told them that because that's the right thing to do. And in my head, that's what we were going to do. Yeah. Well, I submitted these and my manager agreed with me and then my director didn't. And so these guys went from 100 to 110%. They'd onboarded themselves in like 90 days, which usually takes like six months. So they've done yeah. this incredible job and we're paying them like 75 and 80%. And I was mad. Like I argued and I yelled and then I had to turn around and probably one of the best first examples of like really owning a problem and not trying to stuff it off is I had to go on my team call and tell them that I messed this up. And yeah. I would never do it again. Because it affected their income. Yeah, yeah. I, I told them one thing. That's the thing, you know, mess with people's pay. Like the best way to, f to screw up morale and to mess with another human is to screw with their pay. Yeah. And um, and I told them I would fix it. And so then I had spreadsheets and I had bullet points and I told them all what I wanted them to do and I submitted all this stuff. But like nobody got 100%. The rest of the year, they all got 110, 125, 130. They were going up against more experienced people who they were getting better scores because I had better documentation of what they did. And I, yeah, um, I hadn't even really fully developed a philosophy yet. This was just this thing. I was like, never going to let these guys down, these SEs down again, like, yeah. ever. Like, that was never going to happen. And so that's this transition. Like, if you're willing to look out for another human being, like most managers won't do that. Because what does it do? It creates conflict with the people that they want to like them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I have almost uh, been fired for defending an SE. And, um, and I, there's, listen, the world of life and leadership in, in any company, in any corporate, any, any company that you don't own and you're your own boss, outside of that, it's a game. Everything yeah. is a game. And I don't, I don't mean that like in a negative, it's just this thing you have to recognize and you can get mad at the game and take yourself out and then you're not effective for anybody hmm. or you can learn to play the game so you can be effective for your team. And so there's not a lot of hills that I'm willing to die on. I'll push for what's right and I will voice my opinion, 
but there comes a time where I'll stop so that I can stay in the game and be effective. I'll continue to work to change that thing, but I'm not going to like die on that hill, if that makes yeah. sense. But if you unjustly attack somebody who works for me, I don't care who you are. I will die on that hill every day of the week. And I didn't quite get there at the beginning, but that's, that's where I started to yeah. learn. And, and the other thing that I learned, I'm, I'm very long-windedly trying to come back to your question around kindness. No, no, like, no you're hitting it. To genuinely care about someone you work for, right? To recognize the fact that like what we do is important. But here's the thing, like, and I, I, this is a, this is a statement that those who know me will laugh because they've heard me say it. Like, we don't strap on cool tactical gear, board black helicopters, and fly in the night and kill terrorists to to protect the country. We don't drive anything with flashing lights. We're not responsible for uh, nuclear energy, the power grid, anything like that. What we do is amazing and the technologies and the areas that I've worked help customers do amazing things, whether it be save money or make their lives easier. But there's nothing that can't wait until tomorrow. Mm -hmm. like you don't have to, every corporation in this world is bigger than you are and they will take everything you give it. And if you give it all you have, they will suck that out of you and they will keep on moving yeah. and they won't even care. I am replaceable next week. There'll be Tom 2.0 that will come in and probably do a better job than I do. But you, you're the one that allows that to happen. So mm -hmm. when you actually care about your people and you start to care about them as people, you can build a relationship. And I have a process from a yeah. business perspective that I use to build that relationship. But when you build a relationship and you build a relationship of trust and it, it takes time, um, but you do that through kindness, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think I made the joke with you when we were prepping for this, like, you know, tell me how many times you got in a fight with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> And you made it a win-lose conversation and you went off the handle in an unkind way. Like, tell me how many times your spouse just stopped and said, oh, gosh, I'm so glad you put it that way. I, you, you just, the, the skies have parted. Yeah. Right. Rainbows and unicorns have fallen from the sky and I see your way. And I'm so glad that you said that to me. That's never happened to me in my life. I'm just going to tell everybody that right now. And I'm willing to bet thousands of dollars that has never happened in yours either. Yeah. Right. And then you've got to deal with the fact that you made it a competition. So now you've got a, a significant other, a person you respect and admire in your life that you've tried to turn into a loser. And nobody wants to like, nobody wants to be a loser. And I certainly... As much as, you know, I love my wife no matter what, but when I make her a loser, she's not exactly a fun person to be around until she gets over it, right? And I've never won an argument that way. And and the same thing is true in business. Like being unkind doesn't mm -hmm. really get you anywhere. I mean, you, you, you'll get yeah. somewhere, right? You, you can be the kind of leader that takes credit for everything and, you know, gives your people all this work and, and you can run around it and you'll get to a certain point. Yeah. And you'll probably get one level higher than you should be, maybe two. But- You'll always be transient. Yeah. Right? And that's okay. But I'll call you a manager, right? Um, to be a leader is different, right? I um, I have a general philosophy within that confines of those three priorities that everything that goes wrong is my fault and everything that goes right is somebody else's success. Hmm. And, um, and sometimes that's a tough pill to swallow. Like I'm not going to lie. I've had SEs that have messed up big time and I've had to take the hit for that. It, 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 does, it doesn't even phase me though. Because the yeah. thing is, is I don't hire, like my job as a leader is to hire the right people for the job. And if you've hired the wrong person, your job is to develop them. If they refuse to develop, that doesn't mean because you're a good leader, you don't move them somewhere else where they can be successful, either through encouragement or out of a business, which I've yeah. actually never had to like fire somebody for poor performance. Your job is, but your job as the leader is to make sure the right person's in that seat. And if that person doesn't want to adjust, then your job is to remove that problem, right? So it all, all the responsibility falls on you. It doesn't matter whether they're successful or wrong. There are no bad teams, yeah. only bad leaders. And I totally stole that from Jocko Willink, just so we give him credit on this podcast because he's way better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu than me and I do not want <laughs> yeah. him to hunt me down. Yeah, I was going to ask about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like in taking a hit for an employee, just for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like you mentioned it. You got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. That's part I've, of it. You got to have a lot of hard conversations. And so for me, you have to know yourself too, right? So that's mm -hmm. another thing. For me, I'm Italian, right? I, I grew up in upstate New York. So I have a lot of stereotypical things that are placed on New Yorkers. They're true. Like stereotypes are true for a reason. Um, I have an immediate reaction that is emotional. I'm Italian. I'm passionate. Um, my um, immediate thought is to do that and, and, and is to bow up and, and like, explode like oh what do you mean like oh that's wrong and that's not super effective as i just outlined out. by the conversation with my spouse and you yeah. can see where i've had lots of reps over the course of our 12-year marriage 
Um, and still to this day, I still mess that up. So that's the great part about life. But with jujitsu, you are violated in almost every way imaginable in the modern world. Like you step on the mat in something that's really uncomfortable because a gi has to be made, the jujitsu gis are made to be thrown around, stretched, bent. Like you can't wear like a, like a lightweight karate gi, it's going to tear. Yeah. So you're in this uncomfortable getup. You're on this mat. You're trying to fight another human being. It's, it's, it's really, it's wrestling with submissions. And most of us have visions of wrestling from when we were young. Yeah. And those of us that wrestled get it. And those of us that didn't, know why they didn't wrestle because it looked like the most horrible thing you could possibly do because somebody has violated your personal space in a matter of seconds. And in jujitsu, they're, they're trying to fold you in your clothes. They're, they're trying to submit you. Right. But, but they're on top of you. They're sweat. Like everything that we hold dear is gone. Like mm-hmm. all the little personal things that, that keep us sane. And then you have to figure out how to think through that process because you can't use strength because I also can't see me. I'm 6'3", 290 pounds, and I got about 25% body fat. So I got a little bit to go, you. right? That's, that's about what I look like. And um, and a guy who is 110 pounds but a couple belts higher than me will fold you up. destroy me on the mats. Destroy yeah. me. You fold me in half. Whatever, whatever horrible thing you can say, I don't, I don't want to turn off your listeners to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because I really <laughs> like it and I actually recommend it for everybody. And both my daughter and my wife do it. So I think I'm doing a pretty good job there. But, uh, you know, you have to be able to think, breathe, um, access your, your functioning brain, right? Because if you mm. go primal and you use all your strength, well, now you're just tired. Yeah. And when you're tired... It doesn't get better. It gets worse and you yeah. get in a worse position. And so training in that allows me to access my brain when I want to go off. Yeah. Right. It allows me to have that half second to like some uncomfortable thing happens. And, and rather than look at that as this affront or this chat, this, um, this thing that's going to ruin what I've set up, it allows me to look at it as a challenge to overcome. And, and again, mm. if you have this concept in your brain that as a leader, you always want to be an asset to your team, to your to your leadership, like up and down both directions, right? You want to be an asset, not a liability. It allows me to stop and, and not, again, not perfectly. This is not a 1000% batting rate that I'm running yeah. over here. Uh, not even close. Um, my boss would probably tell you that I'm high maintenance. Uh, if, maybe we'll get him on the podcast. Maybe I'll recommend him as a future guest for the podcast. He's a, he's a pretty good leader. Um, so, you know, in doing that, it's a way for me to access this space and time where I can sit back and detach from the current situation that I'm, again, it's about being effective for the team, right? If that's your general premise, if that's your first rule as a leader. And then that allows me to do things in a way that kind is a good word. It's, it may not feel kind at the time, but it's not hmm. combative or counterproductive or with anger or resentment or frustration. But if you come at it from a perspective of, hey, this is a problem to solve. These are the way it's going to affect the people. You can then become effective for that team. You can head things off at the past. You can help stunt bad decisions because sometimes your people above you, they just don't have visibility. Yeah. They just haven't thought of a thing, right? And and being able to detach and, and usually I bring up things like that through questions. That's yeah. the best way, right? It, so a lot of managers like, when something goes wrong, let's say an employee screws something up, right? Yeah. A lot of managers will be like, I got to deal with what you did wrong and I got to fix you so you never, whatever it is, like make that mistake again, embarrass the team, whatever. How do you use kind of your three buckets to deal with problems that an employee... Oh, yeah, so... It's not if you don't need the three buckets. It's actually the process within mm. um, within the develop your team bucket. So your job is to develop the team. That's not mean you sit back and have lattes and Mai Tais and off they go and you hope they figure it out. Yeah. The goal of an individual contributor who works for me is to drive revenue because we're in a sales organization and to make me more effective. And it mm. sounds arrogant when I say make your manager more effective, but that is part of their development. So mm. the more effective they are, the more things that I can delegate to them. Yeah. The more things that I can delegate to them, the more effective I can be to the people above me, the more useful my team is to the organization in general, and the safer, the better performing that we are, and the faster people develop. And so to get to that point, 
through leadership in developing your team, it's not just making them technically proficient in a set of software or sending them to some online training that makes the company produces that does that. There's a process. And so the process that I use is it's, it's, it's feedback, coaching, and career development. Hmm. And I genuinely want these people to succeed. I have been fortunate. It took me 30 something years to find what I was intended to do in this world and how I was intended to do it. I don't even know that I found exactly how I was intended to do it, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, and there's more out there uh, for me, but I want to help them find it. And the earlier they can find it, the happier they'll be in life. And hmm. so coaching is this thing that happens all the time. Like, hey, Justin, when you thump the microphone, the audience cringed and we lost 30 seconds of, you know, what could you do differently? That's a simple question. It's a dumb thing, but we're sitting here, I'm looking at a microphone, right? So, yeah, yeah. so coaching has to happen and it ha has to happen immediately, right? And then feedback, that's where you get into, and, and people mix those two words together. They're different. Just like hmm. manager and leader are different. Coaching and feedback are different. Feedback is, is that time. Now, now we're getting into the situation where you hear psychologists talk about the five attaboys for every bad thing that you do. And that is very, very important. But, but you have to build a relationship and trust first. And so hmm. the way that I do that as a leader is I will start only with things they do good. And unlike coaching, which has to be done, feedback is always asked and accepted. So if I want to give you feedback, I have to ask you if you'd like feedback. Now, if you say no enough times, I have to coach you on why that's a bad decision. Now I can't help develop you. But nobody really does that because most people really do want feedback. They just never get it. And so for a good three to six months, I try and make the feedback really positive, only mm -hmm. positive, right? Only positive feedback. Hey, you ran this program. The way that you ran this worked really well. Keep doing that to the point that you're like screaming at me for something negative. Yeah. And then I don't tell you everything that you do wrong. Then I look at that. And we, we have to have career conversations. So I always have a one-on-one -on -one that's the time for my team on a weekly basis, but these career conversations have to happen separately. Sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. Yeah. When I have a picture or when I've helped you develop a picture of where you want to go and what you want to be and what you want to do, then I look at that and go, what's the one thing that would accelerate them? What's the one thing we could work on that would accelerate them in hmm. the direction that they want to go? And then I use the feedback to work on that thing at a time, one thing at a time. Yeah. Because most people can focus on one thing at a time to do better. And, and I found in my life that I don't even have to focus, like for me personally, if I want to change something about me, I don't even have to like focus on it well. I just have to acknowledge it and I have to be intentional about it. Yeah. Years ago, I went through a leadership training course when I was leading that team of people that didn't report to me, I, you know, the company had this amazing training course and I took this emotional intelligence survey and I had to send out all these questionnaires to these people that I work with. And I only had like a handful of them that I really knew. I was kind of new to the job. I didn't, I didn't really know you could send it to people outside the company. Like I didn't really know what to do. I was like, all right, I'll just go send it to this, this group of people. And I had to fill it out on my own and I got the results. And my estimation of my emotional intelligence was higher than everybody else's estimation of my emotional intelligence like way way higher like the gap was huge and i was mad i was offended um and i was like what is this and and that could have been the end of it right there i could have been mad and offended and said these people don't know what they're doing screw them i'm out and i could have taken myself out of the game um, but for whatever reason this time i didn't and hmm. I, I i i had a good enough relationship with a couple of them that i could ask them what they meant and I talked to him and I understood the problem. And, and one of the things that I had done just incidentally was I have to some, I'm a talker. Like that's obviously clear. We're sitting on a podcast and I haven't shut up. <laughs> um, I like to talk through problems. So hmm. in a crisis, I want to talk to people. I want a little bit of process and a little bit of data. Hmm. That's how I solve problems. I need to talk it out and then I'll make a decision. That's gonna be good. That's where I gravitate to, even though, you know, there's all these tests that you know, creative, data-driven, process-oriented, you know, people-oriented. Like, I, I tend to sit in the middle, like, with my ability to communicate with people. and But it's in part because of this situation that I'm telling you about right now. Yeah. So, I decided that rather than be mad about that, I should work on that. Hmm. And I didn't even work on it particularly well. But over the course of several years, with a little bit of intention... I fundamentally changed not only the way I thought, but the way I interacted with people and the way that I set the stage for how I would interact with them. So funny enough, you're allowed to venture frustration to your manager. 
But if you don't tell your manager you're venting your frustration, they might think you're whining or complaining. Mm. And so I learned to just say, hey, I need to vent so I can get this out so I can move forward. Classifying it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but little things in my emotional intelligence improve so much. Um, not only just my awareness of others, um, and, and this is a really critical part to being able to be kind, because if you don't know yourself and you don't understand other people, you can't, re- it doesn't matter how kind you are, you're, it's kind of useless, yeah. right? It's like having a grill with no propane. Like, okay, I've got a grill, but I can't, I can't mm. heat it, so I can't cook it. I got, I got no fuel. Um, and so a little bit of intentionality goes a long way. And you just have to get somebody to see the light enough to want to work on it. And it's interesting because I lead a very, very experienced team. And, and the other thing I do in leadership along with those three things is guardrails, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. guardrails are different. And the guardrails need to be set so that I am not micromanaging your life, but that you are allowed to bounce off them, Yeah. right? For those of you that have kids uh, and you, the idea of understanding actions and consequences, um, one of the, the theory that we use in my household is like, it's better to fail when you lose dessert than it is to fail when the outcome is a drug addiction or you're kicked out of school or something else, right? You being allowed to fail so that somebody understands actions and consequences in a relatively safe environment is a mm. good thing. And almost everybody will tell you that humans need hardship and failure to learn and be successful. And so those guardrails should be set up to introduce that in a controlled fashion with your people. Yeah. If they're not bouncing off the guardrails, they're too wide and you're actually stunting their growth. And if they're ricocheting back and forth like a pong game out of control, then they're too small. Hmm. And so, and every employee is different. This is what makes leader, uh, being a leader very, very challenging because you have to modify your style um, to the individual. Um, so I have a very seasoned team right now and it's like taking a sharp blade and adding an extra layer of razor on it. Like there's very little development hmm. that happens. Our job, my job is to clear obstacles and help them go do the thing. Like I just get out of their way and let them go. And yeah. then make sure I understand what the career goals are. And then I assign projects to them based on what they want to do. Yeah. Earlier in my career, I had people that were early in career. And those people are wild and fun to lead because there is this immediate growth and these things that you can do and these huge leaps in their career that you can kind of tangibly see and feel. And that's really, really amazing. Both are super gratifying, but they're different. And um, and it's, hmm. it's a byproduct of that. That makes sense. I'm curious at this point, we've talked a lot about just the leadership and the team. What what specifically then, as you said, you're lifting things out of their way. What are the biggest challenges you're encountering as you're trying to champion your team, develop your team? Yeah. So a lot of challenges have come over the course of the last three or four years, and that's at two different companies. So about two years ago, I left the company I was at to come to the company I'm with now. And in part, I left because I wanted to see if my leadership philosophy would work somewhere else. Was mm-hmm. I just a product of the company that developed me or, or did I have something that works across the board? And, um, you know, wide-eyed, right opportunity, all those things lined up and, and it was the perfect opportunity. Great, one of the greatest decisions I've ever made. And I would still tell you tomorrow to go to work for the company I came from. It's a weird situation of just just awesomeness. And... As a, as a leader of individuals, you are, you're like a double duck on a pond. So if you think about a duck on a pond, on the surface, the duck looks smooth. He's just gliding across the water. All is well, right? But underneath those web feet are like, water's churning, bubbling everywhere. And so I have to be a duck to my people while leadership is causing all this churn underneath and i have to be a duck to the leadership above me Hmm. while there's all this churn in the business or there's all this churn that they created that they don't get to see right how do you do that it's super exhausting and it's really challenging (laughs) it sounds Um, like it sounds like a lot of naps but that's it's the general rule of a frontline manager so frontline manager is somebody who leads leads individual contributors doesn't lead other leaders basically That, Hmm. that would be considered a second line manager in the industry that i ride in right so I try to keep it essentially focused, right? I told you that my people's number one job is to drive revenue. We're in a sales organization. And so I try to clear anything that doesn't involve driving revenue or developing their career from their plate. It's not always easy. You know, with the advent of COVID and all of a sudden everybody stopped traveling, we had a lot more internal meetings. 
we used to joke that the Zoom ferry would fly through your week and fill up any empty spots in your calendar that you didn't have. Um, you know, she was followed by the good idea ferry, which would be a bunch of people not on planes, not talking to customers anymore, sitting around thinking about things and having a bunch of good ideas in a vacuum. And most of those were ideas that you had already explored. And now mm. you had to kind of re, it created a lot of churn, a lot of bubbles up the water. And you just have to, be, it's, I go back to that jujitsu. It's like, you just have to be comfortable drowning. Like you just have to be okay on the, like you just have to be able to take that breath, detach from that situation and stay normal and recognize that all things are problems to be solved. All challenges are opportunities to learn. Hmm. Um, and then just start working through the, working through the process. The, the idea of prioritizing and executing is super awesome. And, and it's not prioritizing a list of 400 things every day that you need to do that you're going to get nothing done or half of them done or 10 of them done. And then the list is going to be 450 tomorrow. That's not what I mean. Hmm. Prioritizing what is essential to the success of your team and your business. And so I have the ability to go, Hey, I can do anything, but I can't do everything. So if we want to go do this thing, we have to drop some of these things. And in my opinion, at my level, so I like to say that at my level because I don't always have visibility. And I recognize that there, you know, I'm, there's meetings that I'm not in at the highest levels. I'm like, we can go do this if you want, but it's going to distract us from the thing that you pay me for, which is to go make this number and to drive revenue. So, yeah, what benefit are we getting? And listen, there have been times where I've had to go to my team and be like, listen, I'm sorry, this is a last minute fire drill. I didn't see it coming. I need y'all to help me on this one, hmm. right? And then there are other times where the team never even knows they're supposed to do something because I never even told them because I saw I cut it off at the pass. Yeah. And there are some times where it's some, somewhere in between. And, yeah. and that's okay. That's life. But if clearing obstacles isn't like, oh, you know, um, the sales ops teams doesn't want to create a PO at this discount. I need you to call so-and-so and get them to approve it. That's... Anybody can do that. And if you argue enough, they'll give you what you want because they want to stop arguing with you. Like that's just the nature of that business. Like it's about freeing up space in people's day to do their job. And and SEs in the software industry are particularly bad about this because we want, we're, we're kind of pleasers. We want to say yes. We like to get to the yes. Yeah. It's our job, right? And so like one of the things I found is that um, our company uh, as a process of COVID decided to do half day Fridays through the summer. So everybody was allowed to cut off at noon. We didn't schedule any internal company meetings from noon on. Um, and I'm gonna tie this into leading by example as a leader as well. So don't don't let me get sidetracked. Let me circle back to that because I think that's important as well. I extended that through the year. Now I don't hmm. have permission to do that, but my job is to lead my team. And what I found over the course of the summer is that that was a little carrot for my team. They said no to things more because they hmm. wanted to protect that half day that they took with their kids. Or, you know, I got a guy that fly fishes with his wife and his daughters. They go in the mountains of Colorado and they go fly fishing, which is crazy. They all do it. It's fun. It's super yeah. awesome, right? Um, and she's actually a guide, so they always catch fish. Like, it's super cool. But they protected that time because, so they, they said no to things and they prioritized better and they executed better. They were more efficient. And so I thought, yeah, that's a thing we should keep doing. COVID hasn't ended because the summer's over. I also thought that it was... Um, it was disingenuous to let the hikers have the extra half day and not the skiers. So that's kind of how I justified it mm. in my own head. So we're going to let the, the fall hikers and the skiers have their half day to get out to the mountain a little early as well. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's doing little things like that. Like somebody yeah. may come along and say, hey, why are you doing that? And I'm going to say, because it makes my team more effective. They prioritize better and I get more work done. On, they get more work done on the week, weekday. And, and they may say, hey, you got to stop doing that. Okay, well, then I've been overruled from above and we'll have a conversation with my team and we'll figure out something else. But like your job is to lead in the yeah. absence of leadership, lead. If you don't have direction, then lead. Yeah. You don't need to wait for direction. And I might fail and sometimes I, you know, that's okay. I have to have guardrails to bounce off as of, of as well. And, uh, and that's super important. And then the other thing about that is to lead by example. And that's, that can be really challenging. So I have... Um, we just moved, so we're in this weird transition where we're trying to figure out what our new rhythm is. Yeah. But I have this situation where my daughter goes to school, she's like 20 miles away. Um, I still like to train jujitsu at noon because my wife 
we still have some kind of quasi COVID stuff going on and it's disruptive for my family for me to train at night. And I yeah. need to train because part of jujitsu is training a lot. And I coach the kids' class. So if I'm going to coach the kids' class, I need to know what to coach them. They can't know more than me. Um, they all do, but they can't know that. I <laughs> uh, can't make it obvious. And uh, I have, want to have time to coach. There's another thing, right? So I tend to work at weird hours. Like I'll come and work from seven to nine at night sometimes. Like I'll, my wife will put her to bed and I'll log on and, and do some stuff or I'll, I'll work at 6 a.m. My team doesn't know that. Like hmm. the send later feature in Outlook is amazing. Um, actually, I take that back. My team does know that because I'm very open with my team. I, I build a relationship with everybody. Um, and uh, and it's, it's, it's personal. You get to know about me too. I don't just like yeah. tease out this existence of your life that I can then use to manipulate you to do what I want. That's not how that works, right? They yeah. know. It's a relationship. Yeah, it is. It's a true relationship. And and I am open about the things that I fail at. And I empower my team to hold me accountable where I fail as a leader. Um, and um, and they do, which is great because it, it makes me better. But my point is, is like if I send emails every night at 8 o'clock at night, the expectation for my team is that they should be sending emails every night at 8 o'clock at night. Hmm. Same thing if I do it at 6 o'clock in the morning or midnight or 3 a.m. Yeah, what they see you doing. Right. They think that's it doesn't matter what I say. It's what I do. And hmm. so if I don't take off on a Friday afternoon, I work on things that nobody but leadership is going to see. Yeah. Because as leaders, we talk about this stuff and we can do that to each other and know that it's okay. Right. Not the people. We're all peers, yeah. not the people that work for you. Yeah. That example is you have to set the example, even if it's difficult for you sometimes. And so if I have to send an email after hours, the amount of preface that I put on it is pretty significant. I go yeah. out of my way to make sure that they recognize that this is a one off that I had to do on an emergency situation. And then I reinforce that with them on a regular basis. Um, it's a constant. The health and well-being of your team is a constant thing. You can't just bless the situation and go, I wipe my hands yeah. of this. They know what to do and they will do it because they won't. Hmm. They will see the example of everybody else around them. And you have to be willing to go to bat for them. If they come and tell you they don't, they shouldn't do this thing, you have to be able to go, okay, let's go talk to whoever wants you to do that and we're going to tell them no. Yeah. And if you don't do that, then it doesn't matter what you say. They're going to get sucked in and, and, and that's how you clear obstacles as a leader. And the other thing about being kind uh, and being a servant leader, I had this unfortunate situation at my last company, um, and I'm bouncing these around. Hopefully, you'll edit this properly. Uh, I'm going to trust you, Justin. Yeah. I had we we sold off a division of our company, and there were a bunch of SEs that stayed behind. They were all promised jobs hmm. in the initial run, and then the funding came in, and two of them out of ten and I had a job. So three people out of eleven people had a job, and I chose who the two people were. And, and then I had to lay off people that didn't deserve to be laid off. Um, who were promised jobs. Who were promised jobs. Now, albeit it was three or four months before that, but still promised jobs nonetheless. And if you really want to understand what it's like to be a servant leader, then you have to pray that that thing happens to you and pray that it never happens to you at the same time. I will tell you that was the most impactful thing that's ever happened to me in my career. I hated going through it. I mm. still hate that I had to do it today, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it tested my fortitude as a servant leader and it allowed me to see what I was actually capable of and to prove out, I don't care what I proved to other people, but to prove out to myself that I was the kind of leader that I wanted to be. So one of the people that I had to lay off that didn't deserve it was number three on the list. Totally didn't deserve it, yet I chose his fate. Yeah. He was flying to Austin that morning to interview for another role because I kind of knew this was coming. And when you kind of know things are coming as a leader, you start to make subtle hints that push your people in the right direction. I started telling people like, listen, I don't know what's going to happen here. If you have an opportunity that interests you, you should pursue it within the company. He had the final interview flying out here the next day, 24 hours later, and I laid him off that morning. <laughs> and I, had, I turned around, I met him for breakfast. And I had to... I, is a byproduct of what happened. I, I say I had to as if this was this intentional plan that I had. That, that's not what happened. I, I just cared about the individual. I really thought highly of this person. But I sat with him and I helped him process the entire thing of being laid off. And I had to help him negate the pressure that this interview now created. Hmm. Because now he didn't have a job. 
Yeah. And we had him get through. So he had to get through the entire emotional process of loss in 24 hours and then go sit down in a final interview and get this job. And he got it. And it was super awesome. And then yeah. there were other people there that I had to help. Some people got jobs outside the company and some people got jobs inside the company, but like none of them deserved to be laid off. Even the worst on the list would have been a solid player on any other team that you'd be happy to have on your team. And um, and that was really, really challenging. And you know, many of those SEs still talk to me and I take that with great humility and great honor because I don't know about you, but if somebody laid me off from a job, I wouldn't feel inclined to, to want to talk to them mm. afterwards. That'd be a thing that I would have a, as an Italian whose honor and passion and yeah. have a hard time with that. And, um, and that's a, it's much better to lead people and let them know that you're genuine in not rough times, but rough times tend to lead that out. Like I, I still hear from several of those SEs, including, including the gentleman that came mm. to Austin and it's, uh, it, it, it matters. At the end of that series, at the end of that kind of two month span, um, it, uh, it felt good. And later on, so maybe six months later, I didn't get promoted. Um, and I had worked, I, I went to work for this new guy and I, I wouldn't leave the two guys that were left. They weren't, he wanted me to come work for his team like at say in October. And I ended up going to work for his team with the guys that I was leading, but I wouldn't leave them. They weren't settled yet. Things weren't safe. I wasn't going to walk away from those two people until this job was done. And at my review, when I didn't get promoted, his feedback was, you probably, you took care of your team, but you probably hurt your own career. You, uh, you weren't with me long enough for me to justify your promotion and get it done. Hmm. And, and part of me thinks that that's a wishy-washy answer. You can get anything done sure. if you really want to. Uh, but that's okay. But but what I really took from it was the compliment. Hmm. Like that was the greatest compliment somebody could pay me without actually knowing they were paying me a compliment. Because again, I'm not like I sound great in this podcast. I have all these things that I do. Like when you implement these things, it's messy. And you wonder if you're a good leader. You wonder if you're doing a good job. And are you taking care of your team to the best of your ability? And you tend when you try to be one percent better every day and you just try and continue to move the needle it's hard to see progress over short periods of time. And, and our problem in, as a human species right now is we only look at a short period of time, right? Like right, right, right now I could look at, like I told you I was 25% body fat at 6'3", right? Right now I could tell you that's bad, I'm up 2%. But if I go back 390 days, I was at 40% body fat. So over the course of that duration of time, that's a huge improvement. And that me last year yeah. would be super happy to be this me but this me today is... But this me is unhappy because the previous me was a couple couple percentage points shorter and a couple percentage points closer to his goal. And so it's really, really hard. And, and here's the other thing about being a leader, right? When you're a brand new manager, everybody gives you an attaboy. Hmm. And I think that's the last place it ever happens. Like basically, if you don't get fired, you're doing a good job. That's, yeah. I, 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 I have had VP after VP tell me that. Like I get no feedback. I have to find feedback in the way that my team interacts and I have to take these things that I think I should be doing and when they validate them, that is my motivation to continue mm. to be better. And so- You have uh, to create your own metrics. Yeah, you, ha you have to kind of do that. It's really, really challenging. And so it's, um, I'm probably selling leadership for everybody right now. They're like, oh yeah, I wanna go be a leader so nobody tells me I do a good job. <laughs> and I sit in perpetual misery, but it's, it's not that way. It's, it's these moments where these big things happen and they happened and you did the right thing because you did all the little things to prepare yourself to have the strength of character and the fortitude and the belief in your process as a leader to hold true to your ideals. Hmm. And it's, um, and I never see them at the moment. It's always like six months later or looking back over the, every once in a while you reflect, oh, it's good to reflect by the way. Uh, every once in a while I, I actually do that. And then I look at these things and I have these moments of pride. And, and that was actually one of the greatest compliments anybody ever gave me. I sacrificed my own career to protect two guys hmm. all the way through until they were settled. And, and I would do that again tomorrow for the other eight that I had to lay off or for anybody else that has ever worked for me. If you were to tell me I sacrificed my career to save this person's career or to keep stability and keep them there, nobody that works for me is a liability. They're all yeah. assets and they all deserve to be where they're at. And, and that, that is when I'm at my best. Does that make sense? Totally. Um, and, and, and you can't do that to tie this all back. You can't do that without being kind. Hmm. It costs you nothing to care about somebody, right? Uh, it caught, I mean, there's a little bit of vulnerability. There's a little bit of trust. Somebody could backstab you. Yeah, 
okay, that's life. Those yeah. people, that's fine. They made yeah. their choice. And then our relationship moving forward is different. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you don't be kind, right? It, it costs nothing to do that. Um, there's so much of this world that we live in right now. There's so many challenges about this thing and that thing and, and there's gaslighting here and there's gaslighting there. Like, well, I would, I would even argue it does cost you something. I mean, in your case, maybe it took a while, but it costs you a promotion, right? To be kind. I think genuine acts of kindness yeah. cost at least our comfort initially. But at the end of your life, your mm. job title doesn't mean anything. No. Nobody's going to remember that. Um, and, and, and nobody may remember that moment that you did something for them. But, you know, one of the things that I tell people is I don't want my daughter at the end of my life to say my father was a good VP of whatever he did. I don't like guy's a jerk. Yeah. I want my daughter to say my daddy was awesome. And maybe because I'm an Italian from New York, put the F word in front of that, even though I don't really want her to ever say that word. Um, maybe that's what I want her to say. And and people don't understand that that's, that's what matters, right? Yeah. Uh, I sit back and look at my life, right? Whatever next world you believe exists, right? There, for me, there's a life review coming, right? I'm going to go through everything I did and didn't do, and I'm going to be upset about all my failures. But I'm going to get to see all these ripple effects mm. of these things that I didn't know happen. Um, and whether you believe in an afterlife or not, I think there's a strong, there's a strong argument to be made that you should do the best and the most good that you can in this world. Yeah. Because if there is an afterlife, you get to celebrate those things and you, there's no religion that says you're not rewarded for that. There's no thought process or archetype that says if you're a good person, you burn for your whole life and your afterlife sucks, right? There's not, not even the Greeks, Yeah, right? <laughs> not even they, Like you may have crossed the river Styx with yeah. the, with the boatman, but even they had reward, right? So there's no religion that I can find anywhere that says that. And if there is no religion and there is no afterlife, then the only legacy you leave in this world is the memory that people have of you. And either way, to me, it leads to be kind, serve others, be the example, be the change that you want to see in the world and do the most good for the most people. And yeah, every time I don't do that, I suffer, even if it's internally with emotional exhaustion and energy that I waste worrying about me. And I'm terrible at it. For yeah. every time that I'm good, I can tell you 15 times that I'm focused on the wrong things or focused on me. Um, but but when you take that and you put it in leadership, you know, you talk about wrongs and, and lack of leadership anywhere in America today, this is how this changes. You start with one leader at a time doing the right things. And I've only helped two people become leaders in my current role. Um, but both of those people are people that I would want to work for and that yeah. I would be happy to work for. And, and, and if those people each help two leaders, now I've helped six leaders. Yeah. And, and my career is not over yet. I'm, I'm young. I've got a long way to go before I retire. And my hope is to move into a position where all I do is like, I only have leaders that report to me. And then I maybe get to develop six or eight leaders. And maybe over the course of my year, my life, I might only successfully develop 12 leaders. But if all those leaders develop 12 leaders, that's 144 people plus the individual contributors' lives that they touched. Yeah. And, and that's what it's about. And, and that's, that's where my passion is. I, I hope that, I think that's probably coming through right now because I'm getting all emotional. Um, but um, but that, that's, that's where it's at for me. That's why I do what I do. Hmm. I love that, Tom. Man, I appreciate you sharing your journey so far up to this point and what the vision is even going forward. I'm curious... Um, I know we got to wrap things up, but like, who would you, who would you say like, man, this is who you guys need to talk to next or who you need to hear from or who you need to be following in terms of leadership and kindness and just good, good guys doing good work in the world. So I have a unique perspective on the world. I think we established that at the beginning of the podcast. So I like things to be written out on a brick and slammed into my head. Um, my wife will tell you that is the best way for me to remember anything she has to tell me. <laughs> um, so for me, um, I follow a lot of Jocko Willink and a lot of Jordan Peterson. Um, there are other leaders out there that kind of soften that message. I know Tim Ferriss does a bunch of great stuff around leadership. 
But but what I like about the people that I mentioned, as polarizing as some of them are, yeah, um, is they are very direct and it is very clear. And, they can write and, it on a brick. <laughs> right or wrong, uh, particularly in Jordan Peterson, I know is very controversial, so that that one might not get you a lot of fans. But what what I take from him that's positive, because um, I don't know that I agree with everything he says yet. Most of the time I have to have a dictionary next to me when I listen to him and I have to look up like 50% of the words <laughs> that he uses. Uh, Jocko's much less so. He, he, he speaks to me very directly in a language that I get. But it's personal responsibility, mm. right? The idea that you are responsible for you and you can't lead anybody else until you can lead yourself, at least adequately, right? If you can't lead yourself, you certainly can't lead other people. I'm on the adequate stage for myself personally, just so we're clear on where I sit on that one. But um, but you have to find somebody who makes sense and find a structure that works for you. So some things are things that just exist, right? Coaching, feedback, career development, those are things that exist everywhere. How you define them is up to you. How you do them is up to you, but you have to figure out how to do them successfully. And I know... If you're a leader out there, you probably weren't told by any company how to do that because they're really light on how to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, maybe you got lucky like I did and you had a couple of good mentors that helped you facilitate um, facilitate that and, and pick up that stuff. The other thing is if you're going to choose to be a leader, you have to define who you are as a leader. I have interviewed a lot of candidates, um, a lot of candidates for leadership positions on my team. I'm in that, that space now in my current career and not one of them really answered that question well. And when I was going through that process, I realized how I got the job I currently sit in. And that was because I was very clear about that. I knew exactly that is who I was. And I could tell you, hey, if you're looking for a technical player coach, I'm not your person. And that's okay. Like, we'll yeah. just stop it here and you go find that person. This is who I am. And if you want this, this is what I offer. Uh, and so, you know, follow people that help you figure that out. And there's mm -hmm. there's other Jockos out there. There's, you know, civilian versions of him that will give you that information. But define who you are as a leader and then go apply it and then go do that 1% and be 1% better every day. And, and you'll figure out who you are and your philosophy and, it, and it'll go crazy, man. It'll take off and you'll be really rewarded. Yeah. Well, I know we got we to gotta wrap up today, but gosh, Tom, it's been awesome. It's and been great, man. Thank I, you so I'd much. love to do this again, man. I want to hear kind of even what the next journey is going to look like what the next season for you i mean i'm game but i think you should let your listeners dictate whether they want to hear from me anymore again we'll see we'll see how that goes i really enjoyed being here thank you very much for having me on your podcast yeah my first one so hopefully it went well yeah yeah we'll do it again all right well i don't know if you could tell but tom and i had an awesome time hanging out together and really digging into his story and how he shows up with kindness in his workplace hey the mankind podcast exists for exactly what Tom said right there, which is to help men practice things. Oftentimes, these skills are seen as soft skills. I'm putting quotations around that. And nobody is really spending the time to train and develop in those areas. And so you have to take ownership. You have to create your own deliverables and your own metrics for yourself until you become a VP, like Tom said, and then they want you to be polished. But between now and then, how are you actually measuring success in the areas of emotional intelligence and empathy? That's what this podcast is all about. And it's important work. Hey, if you believe in the work that we're doing, we'd love for you to support it. And you can simply do that by hitting subscribe on this podcast and leaving a comment and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Again, I'm Justin J. Girdler. Thank you for joining us on the Mankind Podcast. Thank you.